Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. My name is Brandon Fong, and I am beyond excited to have you here, whether you are a new friend or an old friend, and oh my gosh, you guys are in for a treat. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest, Jen Drummond. My back gets hot. I'm like, how is my back hot? It's freezing, the wind's blowing sideways, I can barely see, and I'm like, okay, I'm getting hot, where like I'm arching my back trying to get my backpack off of me. And the guide behind me grabs my axe and throws it. And it's like leashed onto me still, but so throws it. And I'm sitting there thinking, what just happened? He's like, oh, we're in an electrical storm. Yes, my friend, you heard that correctly. Electrical storms and almost dying by getting sneezed on by a donkey and contracting anthrax. Those are all just normal topics of discussion in today's episode. And today is so excited because I get to do a first with you and that is introduce you to somebody that is a world record holder. And when I say or talk about Jen Drummond, I literally think it sounds like a background to a superhero story. I'm talking about having seven kids, having an eight figure business, a world record in mountaineering and surviving a horrific car crash that I think belongs up there with a background of Batman and Superman and all that other stuff. So, uh, so much to talk about today, but let me tell you a little bit about Jen Drummond. As I mentioned, she is a mom of seven, successful business owner and world record holder as the first woman to climb the second highest summits on each of the seven continents. She now spends her time inspiring others to create a thriving business and lasting legacy of their own. She shares her story and strategies for success through her book, Quit Proof, Seven Strategies to Build Resilience and Achieve Your Life Goals, and her Seek Your Summit podcast, programs, and signature talks. And by the way, I read Quit Proof in preparation for this interview. It is so good, not only for the stories, but also the mental resilience lessons that come as a result of achieving really, really big goals and how you can apply that in your life. So anyways, you can learn more about how she elevates devoted and determined entrepreneurs to go beyond a life life of success to a life of significance by visiting jendrummond.com. Oh my gosh, there is so much to look forward to in today's episode. But as always, I would love for you to look out for three specific things. Number one, Jen's definition of what it means to be breakproof and her definition of quitting, which I guess I'll give a little bit of a teaser, but her definition of quitting means that you are no longer expanding and growing. There's a bunch of mindset shifts that have been really powerful for me as a result of talking with Jen, so much so that I've added some quotes from her book to the top of my journaling process because there's so much reframing that happens as a result of trying to set a world record. You can't deny that there's going to be setbacks, there's going to be obstacles. And so being incredibly flexible in your goal setting and goal achieving is very, very important. And that was exemplified dramatically in many different ways in not only this conversation, but the book with Jen. So that is thing number one to look out for. Thing number two is the grump dump strategy for how to overcome setbacks really powerful. And number three, of course, we dive into some of Jen's crazy backstory of surviving a near fatal car crash, how she actually struggled with infertility for a little bit and ended up with seven kids. It's just incredible. She's really, really been able to do it all. So 
So if you couldn't tell already, Jen is the definition of somebody who is beyond curious about her potential, about herself, about how far she can push herself. And so I'm really excited for you to listen to this incredible, incredible interview with Jen Drummond. Jen Drummond, oh my gosh, so excited for this episode. Welcome to the show. This is going to be an absolute blast. Woohoo! I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, there's so many, you have so many stories. Like, how could you not have so many stories with your experience? So I usually love kind of just putting our listeners right in the middle of the battle. And then we can kind of like reverse engineer some of the crazy stuff that had to you put you at that point. So I, after reading your book, I'm like, there's so many juicy places we could start. And so what I would love to do is actually start in the middle of a story that came at your summit of Dick Tao. So you took two quick photos, you were heading down and you started feeling your back getting hot. Would you mind explaining what that was and what happened after that? <laughs> oh, that climb, that climb, that climb. It's funny. I have a Q&A tomorrow and we are grabbing stories that will keep people engaged. And this is one of the stories we grabbed. Um, and so my back gets hot. I'm like, how is my back hot? It's freezing. The wind's blowing sideways. I can barely see and I'm like, okay, I'm getting hot. Where like I'm arching my back, trying to get my backpack off of me. And the guide behind me grabs my ax and throws it. And it's like leashed onto me still, but so throws it. And I'm sitting there thinking, what just happened? He's like, oh, we're in an electrical storm. I'm like, what do you mean we're in an electrical storm? Like, can you give me a little more details on this? He's like, yeah. And I thought an electrical storm was when you saw lightning. But when you're in the clouds and the lightning hasn't formed yet, it's if it can connect to something, then it starts to collect and starts to form. So we're in an electrical storm without like lightning bolts yet, right? The lightning bolts are still Keyboard giving yet. the energy <laughs> to form. And I'm saying anything like, awesome, because we're in this like mountain and what are we going to do? And so we... Like, again, we are continuing to walk, like we're hustling, right? Like we're hustling as much as we can. There's points where we're slithering like a snake on the ground to like, because there's a big open spot and there's maybe one little rock that if you're maybe flat on the ground, the rock's a little bit higher than you. And so there's spots that we're slithering. There's spots where, okay, it's starting to collect. Like you can almost hear it or you can feel it. I know it's weird to say, but you can, you can feel the energy in the air. And so then we hit under a rock for a while and then it'd be like, okay, it's starting to dissipate a little bit. I mean, I probably got electrocuted or connected. We were never fully electrocuted because we broke the connection, but I probably had like three or four connections. And one of them was on my forehead. All of a sudden I'm like, oh great, now it's hailing. Like really it had to add hail to this disaster. And then I'm realizing there's no hail. That's electricity connecting to my forehead. I need to drop again. So you drop again and then you wait for it to disconnect and you continue forward. And it's, it's weird, it's scary, it's eerie, but the only option you have is to keep getting down the mountain so that you get out of harm's way. And you don't really metabolize everything that happened until you're off the mountain. You're like, okay, really? Like, really? Were we just in an, what? It was bizarre. So correct me if I'm wrong. You feel this energy and you, you kind of had a little bit of sense of, you know, some weather coming up, but literally you have to like 
ground yourself on the mountain to discharge this energy. Otherwise you're just going to be fried the whole time. So you were literally like basically scooting your butt or army crawling down the yeah. mountain. So you wouldn't die, you know, just casual. <laughs> yeah. You know, those like, and this like a whole climb was kind of a disaster. So what happened was I had failed K2. Somebody knew I wanted to go climb Dictau. They were trying to pull permits. It's really hard to get permits for Dictau because you have to get permits from Russia and Georgia because the mountain is on the, the border of both. And so you have to have both say it's okay. This is back in 2021 in September. I mean, Russia's not a huge fan of us at the moment, but it's not like they're hating on us at the level they are maybe at this time this is airing. And so we didn't know if we were going to get permits or not. We got permits and Dick Tao is a technical climb. So you need to have shoes that fit and gloves that fit and all the dexterity of your extremities to work. I mean, I, I ordered 20 pairs of gloves and shipped 19 pairs back. So I had like the perfect fit and had the warmth that I needed. And I land in Moscow, okay, after this horrific debacle to even get there, I land in Moscow and my bags don't show up. Mm. I'm like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> Where are they? Like, we, we don't know. I'm like, well, how do we not know? Because they were with me and they should be, you know. So anyways, they couldn't find them. And we and my the guides there were like, hey, Jen, the weather window is now. If we don't go now, we're not able to go. So you can either fly home or we can go to a rental store. I'm sitting there thinking, fly home. I just spent 24 hours in an airport. And one of the reasons why my luggage got lost was because I landed in Amsterdam and was going to board the plane from Amsterdam to Moscow and they wouldn't let me board because supposedly that was a repatriation flight only. And since I wasn't <laughs> you know, a just something citizen, that you shouldn't have, that they should have told you just casually. <laughs> well, like how does that how do I even get booked? I have a US passport. <laughs> like you had to use my US passport to get onto this plane. Like, what are you talking about? So I they don't let me on. So then they're like, okay, well, the only way you can enter Russia right now is through Istanbul, Paris, or London. I'm like, well, then let's go to one of those places. So I flew to Paris. And then I flew over to Moscow and in that mix, they lost my bags, which I like dreaded was going to happen. And we get there and I'm like, okay, well, I have just spent like 30 some hours in an airport. There's zero parts of me that can handle another intercom. Like I just can't, like my brain is fried. And so we'll go to a rental store. Well, this is like 2021 September. I don't know if anybody remembers that time of the year, but Everybody during COVID got into outdoor activities and nobody was producing anything, right? Like bits and pieces to make jackets or bags or whatever were in all different countries and nobody could make anything. So inventory was at its lightest. So I show up at this rental store and I'm like, okay, well, if we have these three jackets to pick from, I guess this one fits the best and I'll roll sleeves. And I guess these gloves will have to work and these boots that are three sizes too big and this backpack that I have to tie or use a carabiner to keep tight so that it doesn't fall off my shoulders will need to be used. And I like at that moment, I'm like, you know what? Whatever we experience on this mountain, at least is beta to be able to try and come back again. I mean, like I already said, like, we're not somebody like, there's no way I look like an orphan and whatever. <laughs> 
So we start climbing and we're an hour from the summit and the guides wanted to turn around. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> that, no, there's no, that we are going. And they're like, we need to hurry. I'm like, okay, fine. We can hurry, but we're going. So I kind of convinced them to continue, which I know isn't awesome, but I knew if it was really bad, they would have said like, you're not, I mean, sorry, you're, you were the guides. You're the, you're the client. We make the decisions. And so I didn't understand like the reason why they were like, Hey, we're not continuing wasn't because someone was tired. It was because this electrical storm was generating and they like had been, they knew I didn't know the area. I didn't understand this. And so, yeah, yeah, like people asked, did you summit? Yeah, we summited. Thank God you're not asking about the details in between because I avoided lightning. I butt scooted on like the second highest point in Europe because my toes hurt so bad at certain points. I'm like, I don't even want my my toes to touch the front of these boots. So I'm just going to like go down the mountain on my butt and no one cares because they just care if you hit the top or not. And it was, (laughs) I mean, it was hideous. And I'm a female and there's certain things I like and I had to wear maroon and I don't like the color maroon. <laughs> maroon and it was isn't like one the of most... the things that you like. <laughs> I know. I'm like, this is like, we are not using any photos from this expedition because maroon <laughs> is not my color. Oh my gosh. I, I love that. And thank you for sharing that story. If you listen and can't tell, we have plenty of stories to get into. And I love very masterfully, you pointed at some things that I, I have in my notes I want to get to. I want to talk about imperfect starts. I want to talk about um some of the, the adversity you had to go through some of this. So I love that. And thank you for sharing those stories because you know I think people are just seeing the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to dive into today. So I want to continue unpacking your stories and which, by the way, all these are inside of your brand new book, Break Proof discover the seven strategies to build resilience and achieve your life goals. Just finished it this morning. I'm super excited and grateful that you're contributing this story to the world because there's so many lessons from what you have put yourself through and the the endurance that you face. But I think before we kind of get into more of the stuff about your summit summit school, I want to kind of give some people some context as to why this whole thing happened and some of the the backdrop behind this goal. So I think a great place to start would be 2018. You had a a massive wake up call in 2018 in a very unexpected package that made you start thinking about life differently. So would you mind sharing what that was? Yes, 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 yes. The thing that should have killed me, but woke me up, right? Um, I, I was in a horrific car crash. Like if you saw the vehicle, you'd be what? There was a human in there. Are you sure? (laughs) Um, I was driving home and was paying attention to the side of the road, looking at the reservoir, having my mind tell me a million stories. And all of a sudden my attention got pulled back to the highway and I was coming up hot on a semi. I went to get into the fast lane and I didn't make it. So the passenger headlight hit the back end of the second trailer that the semi was pulling. And I started going end over end. And then I started rolling sideways and then I ended up upside down in the median. And um, I remember the guy pulling back the windshield saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I finally locked eyes with them realizing, okay, he's asking me and he's saying, am I okay? And I'm saying to myself, am I okay? And looking at his facial expression, I'm like, I don't even, I don't know. You're telling me I'm not, so I'm afraid to even look. So I wouldn't even look at my body. And I closed my eyes and I wiggled my fingers and toes. And I remember saying out loud, I can feel my fingers and toes. I can feel my fingers and toes. And the guy goes, you're going to be okay. I'm like, I am, I'm going to be okay. 
And I still use that to this day. So anybody that's listening, like when life gets loud and noisy and overwhelming and everything, like close your eyes, shut it out. And if you can feel your fingers and toes, everything else is a story. Everything else is just running and you can change the narrative up to what that is. So I went to the hospital. I was released. Um, I did end up having to go to the hospital a few different times afterwards because I kept spiking in fever and we couldn't figure out what that was from. And so we finally realized that the seatbelt put enough pressure on one of my breast implants that it ruptured. And mm-hmm. so the reality is I got a new lease on life, a new car and new boobs. Like what else does a woman my age want in <laughs> life? Like it was a and dream. Everywhere. <laughs> I'm like, I'm winning all the way across the board. This is amazing. Um, I did get a call from the police. They tried to rebuild the accident. They could not build a scenario where I survived, let alone walked away, which is just mind boggling because at the same time, I got another call from the police that, or not the police, but my friend's husband, that my girlfriend who called me to go for a run one morning and I said, I couldn't, I had to get everybody to school, went for the run. And it's a trail that you push a stroller on. It was wet out. She slipped, hit her head on a rock and never came home. And so you have this horrific crash that I survive. You have this healthy thing that she's doing and she doesn't survive. That all happens at this time. And I realize I do not get to choose when I die, but I sure get to choose how I live. And I need to start living my life and not putting it on hold. So when my kids went to school school, or when the perfect timing came or when all the stars aligned, right? Like there was always this, if then, if then, if then, and now it was like, now, now is the time. And so 2019 became this big year of reflection. My bucket year. I literally like just thought about all the things I wanted to see, do, experience, What did I want my legacy to look like? Who did I want to be known as? What did I want to do with this new lease on life? Mm. Fast forward a little bit more and we run into 2020 and I'm turning 40 in 2020. So I'm looking at my list thinking, okay, what's the thing that I'm going to do to launch this next decade? And on the list was climb a mountain. I haven't really been a climber before. I'd done one. I did the Grand Teton in Jackson Hole which I absolutely love the experience, but I'm like, I'm going to climb a mountain to like launch this decade, to say the significance of it all and yada, yada, yada. So I have friends that are into mountaineering. I asked them, like, if you could climb one mountain in the whole world, what would it be? And the general consensus was a mountain named Ama de Blanc. I'm like, okay. Like, you know, it's the Paramount Pictures logo. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I know that. And they're like, yeah, and it means the mother's necklace. It's located in the Himalayas. Like it checked a few boxes for me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to climb Ama de Blanc. That sounds perfect. So I start training for Ama. And like all of us, all of our plans go to the side because COVID enters the scene and nobody's traveling anywhere. And in fact, instead of my kids being in school, they're now home with me and I'm homeschooling seven humans. And so in my homeschooling pursuits, one of my kids is struggling with his math homework. And I'm like, we do hard things. You've got this. Like, come on, buddy. The proverbial parent pep talk. My son looks up at me and he goes, if we do hard things, why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde instead of a real mountain like Mount Everest? Oh, Honey, shit. <laughs> I'm a de blonde, not I'm a dumb blonde. Finish your homework. We'll look at Everest. Like what a little punk. <laughs> 
So he finishes his homework. We look at Everest. He goes to bed. And I start thinking, like, why not Everest? Like, if Everest is the hardest mountain in the whole world to this guy, I'm going to climb it. And I'm going to show him whatever Everest is we're capable of summiting. And so by the end of the week, I have a coach called and hired to train me for Ama the Blom and now Everest. And the coach sends me a book about becoming an uphill athlete. So I'm reading it. And in the front, there's a foreword about a lady who got a Guinness World Record for doing something in the Alps. And I remember thinking, I could have done that. Like I can suffer and that is a suffer fest. And I could have gotten a Guinness world record and my kids who absolutely do not think I'm cool on any stretch of imagination would think they had a cool mom because this homeschooling thing is eating me alive. And my coach and I are having this conversation. He's like, well, I'll think of something I'm like, okay, fine. But just, I'm not doing the pumpkin thing or speed eating hot dogs or growing fingernails <laughs> or all like the weird things that are in the record book. Right. Um, eating a car like, oh, one bite at a time. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, like the things like I have friends that got to get us world record for like building a blanket for I'm like, okay, cool. It, just, it doesn't excite me. I'm not doing it. So my coach is like, don't worry. I'll come up with something. It'll be good. I'm like, okay, fine. So a few weeks later, he calls me. He's like, Jen, Jen, I got the perfect record for you. I kind of forgot about the conversation entirely. If I had to be honest, I'm like, okay. He's like, I think you should be the first female to climb the seven second summits. I'm like all of you listening here today, I'm like, what are those? Like, what are you talking about? What, what a second, what? <laughs> and he's like, listen, he goes, the seven second summits are the second highest point on each of the seven continents. It's harder than the first seven. It's only been done by one male and you'd be the first woman to do it. And think about it, seven continents, seven mountains, seven children it's like a jackpot like it is it is like a jackpot let me think about it so i thought about it i looked at the locations with my kids and i'm like yes i'm gonna do this this is gonna get me excited and i'm gonna like have impact and blah you know all the story and you know i hadn't slept in a tent before but we were gonna figure all those details out <laughs> And, and Jen, it's the ultimate suffer fest. You should definitely want to do this. I love that. <laughs> that thank you so much for sharing that story. And I'm so, it's so amazing that your kid, that one conversation over a piece of math homework is what kicked this entire thing off. And so I, I want to continue down this path and some of the key takeaways that I had from reading your book on this, but there's, there's just a few more details that I want to pull out that, that I think are just super, super relevant to your story. Seven children. That's incredible. And I know there are a, a Big, big motivation for your climb. I watched some of your YouTube videos. You always have a picture of them at the summit. You're thinking about them all the time. But, you know, even your, you know, even your journey to having kids was a crazy road for you. So would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about the seven kids that you have that light up your life today? Yeah, 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 yeah. Those monkeys. Um, so I struggled having children, right? Which was kind of weird to think about because most of your life you're like trying not to get pregnant and then all of a sudden when you want to you're like what doesn't work like what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> okay um so I I mean it was hard because I felt like women are born naturally to have babies so how am I born a female and not able to have kids this just doesn't make sense and every month you're reminded 
right? Up, didn't work again. Up, it didn't work again. Up, I'm a failure. Up, this is like, whatever. It was just a horrible, hard time. And the self-talk I had for myself at that time was not helpful, right? It was not encouraging. It was not whatever. I found an amazing clinic in Michigan to work with. And we started on that journey with all different types of methodologies and nothing was working. And then finally, they came up with a chemical cocktail that turned me into a hen, like in one month. <laughs> I went from zero eggs, okay? Like zero eggs for like years. to all of a sudden having 28. I'm like, that's like more than two cartons. Like, how is this possible? Like who does this? It's more than and a so baker's they, dozen. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. So I go and they grab all these eggs and then they fertilize them. 28 become 14 embryos. They plant two. I have my son, Jack, who's the light of my life. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like so worth it. Da, 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 da. And then I get a bill from the fertility clinic. I'm like, I'm sorry. I've paid you guys tons of money. My son's at home. Wrong bill. And they're like, oh no, no. These are your embryos. My embryos? Yep. I'm like, we need to have a talk about that again. Let's go through that detail. I forgot that detail. So embryos were on ice and you have three choices with them in the state of Michigan at the time. I think things change all the time. So I don't know what the current rules are, but at the time you either used them, you donated them, which to me, I'm like, I'm going to be looking all over. Are you my kid? Are you my kid? Are you my right. kid later in life? If I do that, or you destroy them and they give them to you to destroy. Listen, I just took how long to have this one human and now you're going to give me these embryos to destroy. And like, I think there's this thing called karma that I'm a little worried about. And I don't know if I feel good about that. So, okay, we'll use them. Well, they rank them, right? So let's say like, okay, this is a one, this is a four, and it's all based on quality. And, you know, you'll probably get two or three more children based on the quality that we have. I'm like, okay, well, I grew up Catholic. I'm one of three. My dad's one of 11. I have a bazillion cousins. Like I can do this. Like I can do four kids. I'll be fine. Four kids, still have embryos on ice. Five kids, still have embryos on ice. And I'm like, they're like, don't worry. These are the worst ones. They're not going to survive the thought. Like, don't <laughs> even worry. I'm like, okay. I mean, I literally changed my email to be like, jd6boys at hotmail.com like that's what i thought was gonna <laughs> with happen the license plate with the bumper yeah yeah i mean i was like with committed your i'm like this is what it's gonna look like and this is i'm gonna have six boys because i've already had five and blah, blah 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 and the last two embryos both stick and they're twin girls and i have so now i have like seven children which is just mind-blowing and the twins came super early so I had seven children under the age of six and a half and it was absolute insanity. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. But it is, I mean, I tell you what, when, when I was in COVID, people would look at me and like, I don't know how you do this. And I'm sitting there <laughs> thinking like, I don't know how you don't have this and get through this time because this is hilarious. And you don't have anything that reminds you how funny life is every moment of every day. Yeah. Man, I love that. It, it, I'm just going to, it reminds me of one of the things I've seen is a very apparent in your story and just the way you operate in life. One of my core values, I call it conscious storytelling. I believe that our stories are the medium of our reality and we can choose to share the story in a way that is empowering for us. And I just see that in even this story and in your book, it's like you're constantly 
reframing, making the story work for you, upgrading. And it's just super, super cool to see that. And I love the story of the seven kids and how well it matches up with the seven summits, like it, seven summits, seven kids, seven continents. It just all works out. And I, oh man, I, there's so, there's so many things I want to get into with the, the story. So maybe we can keep this one really quick because there's one question that I think is really interesting to think about is one of the things I realize in reading your story is yes, climbing the mountain is the hardest part, but sometimes getting to the mountain is this insane it's it's a whole mountain in and of itself and the amount of time energy and effort that you had to go to just get there to begin was is incredible so your your seven summit goal wasn't cheap it required all this stuff you have seven kids i know you prior to this you have an insanely successful financial services firm so just to kind of set up before we get into some of the mountaineering stuff would you mind sharing how much it costs to summit one of these mountains and like kind of what you had to make sure that you were set up as a, as a successful entrepreneur before you could dedicate yourself to something like this? Yeah. Um, well, it all, like, so it all depends on how you want to do them. Right. Um, so for example, you can, they're all different prices because different countries have different permit fees and different things. And then you also have, do you want to be treated in luxury or do you want to do like the camping? Like there's just different ways to do each pursuit. Sure. Um, so for example, Australia was the cheapest because I didn't have to have a guide. Right. So I knew where I was going. I could feel like it wasn't that hard of a mountain. I could follow the trail map. So my expense to Australia technically was the flight, right? Mm. I think you can fly to Australia for the lowest 22,000 and maybe as high as like 40,000. I have no idea. Um, so Australia was super reasonable and easy for me to do. My most expensive climb was, Antarctica. And part of that is because the flight to Antarctica is $50,000. Wow. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just insanity. And then also I had to climb, um, Mount Vincent first because they wanted me to acclimatize on Mount Vincent, which is the highest point. So that when it came to the second highest point, which is Mount Tyree, which is a much harder climb, we wanted to have our bodies not have altitude be an issue. We wanted to, like altitude was already taken care of on the last climb. So now this climb, all of our resources and energy can be used to actually do the technicality of the climb. And so when I climbed in Tyree, I had to have five guides to myself to climb Mount Tyree because there's no helicopters in Antarctica to rescue, right? So if something goes wrong with any one of us on that climb, it gave us two people to help that person. Like it just gave us the math to be able to rescue anybody on our team that got injured or hurt, mm -hmm. no matter who that was. Um, and so that climb, God, I feel like that one might've been 90, maybe a hundred thousand. I don't wow. even know, but it was horrible. <laughs> I was like, it was the one where I'm like, please universe, let me succeed. So I don't have to do this one twice. <laughs> yeah. Going back with it. And that was crazy too, reading that, learning about just even flying into Antarctica and like, like landing and getting a plane. That was just crazy for me to understand and realize the complexities behind that, but it's just been so cool. And I know you talk a lot about your journey of going from success to significance. It's amazing that you were able to set yourself up in your entrepreneurial journey so that you could not only take care of your kids while you're doing all this kind of stuff, but like pursuing this ain't cheap. That's for sure. So that right. it's amazing how you're, it seems like your entire life led you up to doing this because yeah, not yeah. even, even if somebody wanted to 
set this record, like being able to set yourself up financially to do some of this stuff is just incredible. So I'm sure the whole, the entrepreneurship conversation is a whole separate story, but I, I know we've been kind of like teasing this carrot the whole time. Obviously we've kind of talked a little bit about some of the journey about uh, you that the, and stories that you've had as you've climbed these mountains. But I want to talk about some of my key takeaways from the book that I think would be great to share with all of our friends. And the, the first one I think is really the, the, the basic one, but just so profound is the definition of what breakproof means because you are the definition of breakproof. You've cultivated this. You're significantly more breakproof than you were before you set out on this journey. So you've had to fight some demons to really understand what this means. So I would love for you to kind of maybe just share a little bit about your philosophy about what it means to be breakproof. Yes, definitely. And it's been um, a journey in getting it to be titled breakproof, to be honest with you, because at one point the publisher was trying to name the book quitproof. I'm like, no, mm. but quitting has like a negative connotation and break really has got this positive piece to it. So I really wanted to do break proof. We went back and forth and the publisher won for a while. Then we got sued for using the name quit proof because the universe wanted us to use break proof. And so then we went back to break proof. <laughs> Conscious storytelling so, round two. There you yes. go. <laughs> I'm like, see, I told you it was supposed to be break proof. But so like, here's what happens is when we're on pursuits, we're going to break right? Our relationship's going to break down. We're going to make a bad decision in the business. We're going to not do everything perfect. And so sometimes we're proactive and we take a break in our lives. And sometimes a break happens. And in that break, we have proof. We have proof of what's working, what's not working. Is this even the mountain we still want to climb Not we're, now that we're further down this path? Or what is all the information I have available to me now to decide what I want to do next? So being break proof is being able to be in that break and be able to pause and reflect and collect the data to be able to continue forward and say, okay, I broke this time because what? And then whatever that what is, now all of a sudden you have things that you can start working to solve and have a solution towards. So I think a lot of times we forget like big mountains take big teams, okay? If you want to climb Everest, the amount of things that have to happen for you to be able to get to the summit of Everest is mind boggling, not only from on the mountain, but back at home to make sure Junior gets to school and all these little different details that if I didn't have a big team behind me to climb Everest, it wouldn't have happened. And I would have ran out of energy and I would have been tired. I wouldn't have been as enthusiastic about the pursuit, but because I recruited a huge team to help, I could climb Everest. And so if you're breaking, like sometimes one of the things that's keeping us from going forward is we're taking on too big of a goal by ourselves. And it's in these breaks that we get to start examining our lives and saying, okay, what do we need to get to the top? Mm. So that's how the title of the book came about. I love that. And I, I have like double underlined, highlighted and asterisk. This is just my notes from your book, but I just love the way that you wrote this too. So yeah, I'm just yes anding with your own writing here, but I highlighted this and I just want you listening to get this, but it's like our initial paths or methods might not always be the most fruitful or aligned with our long-term goals. As such, the capacity to reassess, recalibrate, and if necessary, redirect one's efforts is seen as a valuable asset. Instead of obstinately adhering to a task, goal, or plan, like sticking to a career path that is no longer fulfilling, even when it may no longer serve one's best interest, a breakproof approach values the ability to recognize when circumstances or objectives have changed. I just think that's so powerful and so empowering too, because it's like, 
lots of what I think the traditional definition of success is like, I'm just going to stick this out. But if you're climbing the wrong mountain, if you're not doing something that's in alignment with you anymore, it's almost like there's this stigma of like, oh, you quit, you let that thing go. When in reality, I think substituting a break proof mentality is significantly more empowering and more aligned too, as to like what actually happens in the world as you pursue really big things. So I just love that so much. Well, and it helps you get out of your own way, right? If you're going to allow yourself to let the situation unfold and decide with truth that, hey, this isn't my path, I'm allowed to pivot, you're not going to like be hesitant to start things because you're going to trust yourself and your judgment to be able to continue. I once went on a private plane to go shopping with a girlfriend. I had never had this experience before. I was hook, line, and sinker in love with the whole thing by the time we landed at our first store. I'm like, I'm getting my pilot's license. Are you kidding me? This is magic. <laughs> so we literally come back from this like expense, like this little experience, and I call a pilot instructor. I'm like, hey, I want to get my pilot's license. He's like, okay, fine. So I go to the pilot's class, and I start taking lessons, and we start flying the plane. And I'm in the plane. I'm like, Oh, this is way less sexy than what I thought it was going to be. Like the entire <laughs> time you're flying, you're looking for one, one of the gauges to not be doing what it's supposed to be doing. And then if something went wrong, where are you going to land the plane? And then for two seconds, you're like, oh, this is really pretty view. And then you have to go back to all the gauges. Is everybody <laughs> working? And where do I land this thing if something goes wrong? And so I would come home from these lessons and I would scan my environment for stuff that's wrong. I have seven children. There's stuff wrong it's all over all the, the place. Time. <laughs> I'm like, this is not making me like a very nice human. And, but I'm like, I'm not quitting. Like, this is what we do and blah, 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 blah. So I go and I take like the written test. I'm like ready to go take the pilot's test to do the last little piece of it. And my instructor's like, hey, you better call your insurance company because this is going to affect it. So I call my insurance. Oh, before this though, I take my two kids up on the plane one day with my instructor. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is going to be amazing. The entire time, where's snacks? Why isn't there TV? I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> He's looking out my window. I'm like, how am I going to fly a plane with juniors in the back, mad that somebody's looking out their window, right? Like this isn't working. So then like, then my coach, like I called my insurance company. I'm like, hey, I'm getting my pilot's license today. I just wanted to let you know. They're like, oh, okay, well, here's what your premiums would be. I'm like wait, are we, I, I'm not buying a house. I'm letting you know that I'm like getting my pilot's license. What's going on here? They're like, oh, well, that's really risky. And so that in changes like all these things. And this is how much it's going to cost you if you have your pilot's license. I'm like, I'm kidding. That was fun. I'm not getting my pilot's license. I literally called my instructor back and I'm like, okay, I know I can fly and land this plane. We've done it a thousand times. I'm done. I, this isn't my path. It's not going to fit my future. It's not what I want to do. I appreciate you. I'm sorry. I'm not getting that little tick, but I can't because it's way too expensive and out of my league. And that's an example of, I wasn't that break, right? That, like that pause, that proof of like all these things of what I thought it was going to be and what it ended up being wasn't what was serving me. And so I, I stopped, I, I didn't do the pursuit. I went on to something different. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for exemplifying that with it with it with an example which kind of leads me to another redefinition that i would love to expand on a little bit and that is your definition of quitting this is super super powerful so would you mind maybe sharing it when you look up the jen drummond definition of quitting what what does that mean for you and how you've come to redefine it yeah so for me quitting is you're not expanding or growing 
as long as I'm expanding or growing, then I'm not quitting. I'm just taking pivots in my path. Um, but if I quit and I go sit on the sofa and start eating bonbons and like dwell in my sorrow and play victim, you know, you can do that for a little bit, but hopefully you get bored of that story and need to do something different. But as long as you're growing and expanding, then in my mind, you're not quitting. Mm. So powerful and so simple, right? Because I, I just love that simple shift because as an, another delineation you make in the book is the difference between stopping and quitting, right? And so like understanding that a temporary pause in your journey towards your goal doesn't necessarily mean that you quit because you are still pursuing expanding and growing. So is there any details that you want to kind of maybe highlight on the difference between stopping and quitting as well? Yeah. Like, so here's an interesting thing. When I learned, when I started climbing mountains is I thought you went, you started at Everest base camp and then you just hiked up to the top and that's why it just took forever to get there. Okay. When I get to Everest, I realized, no, actually there's this thing called acclimatizing. I'm like, Oh, okay. So what happens is, is you go from base camp and you go to camp one, camp two, maybe to camp three. And you're going to go until you hit failure. So your muscles don't want to work because there's not ox enough oxygen in the air. So you can't make sense of what you're doing or whatever else like that. And it's like, okay, my body has hit its max. If you're lucky, you still try to eat lunch in that environment. Like you're trying to stay at that edge as long as you can. And then you come back down to base camp. And over the next three days, your body physiologically changes to produce mm -hmm. more red blood cells so that you can go back up to that point on the mountain as if you're at base camp. Like now it's like, okay, my body can operate here. We're good. We've made the adjustments. We, we can handle this environment and now we can go further. And when we're pursuing things in life, I think a lot of times we quit when instead it's a stop. It's a, Hey, I need to acclimatize. I need to go back to base, learn what I learned, figure out what I need to figure out and then reevaluate and then continue forward. So stopping is a pause. It's acclimatizing. It's allowing you to reassess and continue where quitting is I'm out. Give me the bonbons. I want my TV remote. Another super powerful thing. And again, another, just another empowering way of viewing any, it's like a tool in your tool belt of telling more empowering stories. Cause it's like, you can really destroy yourself if you, and you know this better than anyone. My, my extent of endurance is I ran a Spartan ultra this past year. And, and like, that's been amazing. It was, it was 34 miles and all that kind of stuff. And, and then I read your story. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like, there's way, way more levels. So I'm really excited. So thank you for inspiring me. But it's like ha having, like, if you choose to push yourself, if you choose to do these things, or if you're starting a business, I love that you've just given clear definitions and tools in the tool belt to tell yourself more empowering stories. Cause like your mental game is really the only thing that's keeping you in the game to begin with. Right. And so like having this is super, super strong. So thank you for sharing and uh, stopping versus quitting is a really, really cool, powerful delineation. And in, in this typical narrative, I think what people would take in their head. Um, Jen, there's, there's another story that I think would be great to share that also kind of embeds a really powerful lesson. And you kind of, this, I, I'm kind of fitting some pieces together that may not necessarily fit in the way that it fit in the story, but in my mind, they're, they're fit because imperfect starts are normal is, was a, it was a really great insight that I got from the book and the chapter that you tell us and you tell a slightly different story, but I can't help but fit in the story about your experience climbing K2. Cause I know you talked about, you had a, you had a failure of it a failure to summit. And then you came back the second time. And when you summited, 
it, I watched the video. We can link it up in the show notes. Like I, I have that in there. So you can kind of hear a little bit of context behind the story, but I would love for you to maybe share about some of your false starts of, of K2 and what that journey was like for you. Yeah. So K2 is a beast, right? Like my national geographic calls K2 a savage mountain that tries to kill you. And I think it could not be labeled better. I'm like, well done. You <laughs> nailed it. That is K2. So yeah, my first attempt at K2 was harsh. Um, a lot of teams did not climb in 2021 because of the COVID situation still. And so the teams that were there, um, maybe less experience on the mountain than what we typically see on the mountain and, um, just not enough teams to open up a mountain that big safely. So I was climbing and a friend of mine on the team got caught in an avalanche and died. Another one got injured and I was on the mountain. I had a choice to either continue up. I'm two days from a summit or climb down. And into your point that we've been talking about today, the power of our story, it's like, what do you want your story to be? Right. And so when I'm sitting there on that mountain, I thought to myself, I'm like, what do I want this story to be for K2? Do I want my story to be I summited despite the fact that my friend died and another one got injured and all these things? Or do I want my story to be I put people over peaks? I thought, you know, I'm, it's more important to have people over peaks. And so I climbed down and helped bury a human and helped another one get emergency rescued and started the hike out. And I came home back to the U.S. And my kids came home from camp a few days later. And they're like, mom, mom, did you summit? I said, no, I didn't. But I had success. And they looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, who we are as people is more important than anything we'll ever achieve. And I was in a situation where I could show up as a person I'm proud of and I forego the summit to take care of my team. And I'm, I think that's success. And I'm happy with that decision. My kids are like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. And that was a story that I wanted to write, right? Like that was a story that I had a choice to write. And I think a lot of times when we're at these crossroads of, do I continue or do I go back? I'm going to tell you that summit is not that fun when you're the only person celebrating. Mm. right and that's just something to keep in mind and all of the pursuits that you're taking on in life it's who we're with so much more than what we are achieving so the next year i'm training for k2 and i'm gonna extend this story a little bit because there's a story not in the book it got cut and i go back i get a phone call a couple weeks before i go back about an individual that wants to climb the mountain that doesn't have the resources to stand on top of their country's prized peak and I'm asked if I want to help. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can help. I can do this. So I come over with some supplies and resources and things. And I get sick at, at the base of K2. So talk about imperfect starts. I'm two days from getting to base camp and I get Jardia. And Jardia is like this diarrhea um, bacteria that gets into your system. Typically on these mountain adventures, it's not if, it's when. So I get it right away. I go on to a, a CPAC, right? A CPAC. So I'm on five days of antibiotics and um, it gets knocked back, but I'm still getting sick. So I do I do three rounds of antibiotics while I'm there. It's time to climb the mountain. I've lost 30 pounds. Like I'm not that big of a person. So 30 pounds is pretty substantial. And my guide is like, are you sure you're good? I'm like, I'm climbing this mountain. So as if I don't feel good and I feel like I'm dangerous for somebody else, stop, but I I'm okay. And so I climbed to the top of K2 30 minutes later, 
the person that I sponsor stands on top of the mountain and waves their country's flag. And that is a game changer for life in that environment, right? Jobs for life, career stability, income for life, like to climb their country's prized peak is a huge deal. I get down from K2 and I have a phone call on my satellite phone that I missed. And it's from a camp counselor in Yosemite National Park in the US. And it's like, hey, Jen, your two boys are not liking camp and they want to quit. You need to come pick them up. I'm like what? So I'm called camp and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm in Pakistan. I just became the third American female to stand on top of that mountain. My two sons can last in Yosemite National Park under your care for a few more weeks, okay? They're gonna be just fine. And she's like, I'm sorry, they're at the age where we don't make them stay if they don't wanna stay. Okay, fine, I'm on my way. So like normally it takes you know, five to seven days to get out. Like you pack up your stuff, you hike out. It's a 70 mile hike out. Then it's a long drive to the airport and you fly home. And I'm like, I need to get back. I'm being charged to have an extra babysitter sit with my kids at a hotel until I'm home. So we do this 70 mile trek out in 36 hours. Like I'm sick. I'm in the airplane. I'm throwing up. I like, I can't, like, I thought maybe it was just being in the airplane again. So now it's not just coming out that way. I pick up my kids, I get home. I think I'm gonna take a probiotic because that's maybe my bacteria is all off from all these antibiotics because nothing was working. I get even sicker. I go to the hospital. The hospital's like, okay, we're running tests. I'm like, hey, I'm like, yeah, I was just in a third world country. They were like, were you buy were you buy farm animals? No, I wasn't by farm animals. I was climbing the mountain. Why would I be by farm animals? And I'm like, I was, I was by farm animals because the farm animals hike our stuff in. And in fact, one day when I was checking on those darn farm animals, because I care about animals, one of them sneezed, snot, like all over me. Oh. And I wanted to vomit. I was so angry. They're like, <laughs> okay, we know one more test to run. So they ran another test and I had anthrax. And anthrax is in like farm animals. And normally if your immune system's strong, you would never get it because the good bacteria would fight it off. But I was immune compromised. So it got into my system. I was on antibiotics immediately, the strongest version that they have. And the doctor said like, you have a 40% chance of living right now. If it would have taken you one more day, I don't know if you'd be, I don't know if you'd be here. And I just, it just goes to show like we can plan, we can prepare, we can predict, we can do all the things. There's stuff working outside of us that's making our paths possible. The only way I would have came home at the rate that I came home was if something was wrong with one of my kids. I mean, it's just crazy. And the only way that that person would have been on the top of K2 was as I failed the first time. If I didn't fail the first time, then I wouldn't have been able to make that second thing possible. And I think there's so many times where we just need to keep doing us and trust that the universe has our back. Oh my gosh. I, it's one crazy. small thing I always, I, I find myself saying all the time is like timing is always perfect. You know, it's annoying when you have to reschedule and you have this other thing happen, whatever, blah, 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 but you never know. And like, it's just not seeing the parallels in 
you got Lady Luck on your side. My wife and I watched Deadpool like a, a few months ago. I don't know if you've seen like Lady Luck and she just does all this crazy shit and survives every single time. I feel like you have like no. Lady Luck energy around you, whether it was the car crash that that. I mean, like, like who almost dies from being sneezed away. on by a donkey? I mean, I yeah. find K2 and like my death sentence is going to be a donkey sneeze. I like survived a rollover car crash. How is this possible? It's just yeah, crazy. I- I love that. Oh my gosh. And and there was so much to unpack from that story. And I know, like, I knew this time would fly and I'm already just kind of being mindful of the clock, but there's, there's so much that you explained and processed and overcame in that story of K2. And there was one thing that I think is a, a really powerful detail with how you handled the first setback of K2, like climbing down a mountain because you lost a dear friend of yours, like, oh my gosh. And then going home and having your kids ask you, how did it go? And like, you know, these are young little humans that like, you know, you need to kind of process your own shit before you're talking to them about it. And there's like, so there's so much mental fortitude that you had to go through there. And one of the things that you talk about that I think is a useful tool in handling anything like this. So whether you're listening to this and, you know, maybe you're going through a loss in the family, or maybe you had a a massive setback, you talk about this thing called a grump dump um, that I think was, you know, it's just a really healthy way of like handling some of these setbacks when they inevitably happen. So we'd love for you to share that. Yeah, right. So the world has a gratitude journal. And I love that for the world because I do feel a law of attraction and having the grateful heart and all that kind of stuff is good. But there's bad things that happen. And there's stuff that goes on in our lives. And for me, I need to get it out of me. I can't just like pretend it's not there. I can't just for me processing is writing and seeing it and being able to be like, okay, so when I got back from K2 on that first adventure, I checked myself into a hotel room in LA because that's where I landed. And I told my nanny, I'm like, hey, kids aren't back from camp for a few days. I had a whole bunch of stuff happen. I need to process it because my kids will know if I'm lying. Like they, they're, they're, they're truth bombs. They can tell. And so I need to get my head around this. So I started writing down like every bad thing that happened and I let it rip, right? Like we had scratchy toilet paper. Of course you have scratchy toilet paper in a third world country. But I was like, I still like soft toilet paper, right? So like <laughs> I did all the things, right? We had terrible, like the rice wasn't always cooked or like the water was bad, or, like all this stuff, right? And so you write all this down and you realize, okay, these are all minor things that really don't need attention. These are bigger things that actually are all related once you look at them on a piece of paper. And one of the things I learned from that experience was, you know, at first, when I started taking on these climbs, I wanted to climb with a company that was in the country I was climbing because I didn't want to come in with like an American team and just be like, we're going to go rip up these mountains and do whatever. I wanted to be a part of that culture and I wanted to benefit the people that lived in that community. Well, the number one thing that you need to have as your threshold in mountaineering is safety. And sometimes the con- companies in those countries do not have the same safety standards that we do in our country or in other ways of climbing. And so that was like a big thing of, oh, you know what? That's an altruistic thing that I want to have happen. But if I don't survive, then what good does it do? So now my first filter has to be like, what are your safety precautions? What are our backup? What are all these types of things? And then what culture or company can I benefit that would help the area around? And so it just allowed me to like look at things and get them out of this emotional turmoil that was inside of me and start applying a rational brain to what was going on. And I use it in everything. Like I I get the grumpy out because 
then I can say if I'm being ridiculous or if I'm being like, if there's something going on there and then it allows me to focus on things that I'm grateful for because I'm not ignoring things that haven't gone the way I wanted them to. Yeah. And I think it's really helpful too. I found this just journaling on this kind of stuff is just so helpful for processing. Cause we get so stuck in these, I call them like danger loops, right? Like you keep seeing like the same shit is just going through your head over and over and over and over again. And I find that when you write it down, it's like, Oh, now it's like manageable. I actually just watched um, the Mr. Rogers documentary a few weeks ago with my wife. And like one of the things that Mr. Rogers talks about is if it's mentionable, it's manageable. And I feel like that's one of those things where it's like, if you can write it down and it's outside of you, you have more power over it than if it's just kind of sitting looping yes. over and over in your head. So I, I love that very much. Mentionable is manageable. That's amazing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I know that was kind of, we just talked about a little bit of a, a dark thing. There's one kind of thing that I would love to kind of bring us up and we can start wrapping things up. You know, we've talked a lot about your mountaineering journey. We talked about how much you love your kids, but you know, I think we, we haven't really drilled into some of the things that you do with your kids to make life fun and exciting. And one of the things I came across, I think it was in another podcast you shared. And I think it's a really simple thing with anyone with young kids can do. And I'm, I'm an upcoming father. So I'm excited about this candlelight breakfast. Talk to us a little bit about candlelight breakfast. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. It's so funny. So when I would go on these expeditions, I was going to be gone for a long time. And so for me, I love challenges. That's just how my brain works. And I love the, the pursuit and the sprint and the different pieces. So I put together a 40 day parenting challenge for myself to connect with my kids before I left on expedition. And so when we, like, I built this with them and they knew like, okay, it's a 40 day countdown till mommy leaves. And here's the things that we're going to do. And one of the activities that we do is a candlelight breakfast. It's the same breakfast, same whatever garbage they're eating or if they're eating healthy. But instead of turning on the lights, we have the candles on. And for some reason, that teeny tiny little thing makes the experience special and different and unique. And so it was funny because when I finished this last climb, which was June 1st of 2023, I came home and my kids are like, are we done with the parenting challenge? And I'm like, no, we'll still do it. And so we actually opened it up this past fall to um, the public. I said, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to share ideas, see what you guys think. And we had a handful of people sign up or more than a handful. But it's been so fun because everybody's sharing like the little things that they're doing to connect to their child. And like the, yesterday was hug for 30 seconds. Mm. And it's amazing when like you hug your kid quick but then you hug them for 30 seconds and you can feel their body melt. You can feel that relaxation set in that that 30 seconds allows. And my older kids that are teenagers are like, mom, I'm like, listen, and I'll like, just, if they want to hug, I'll poke on them. I'll keep my finger on them for 30 seconds. And I'll go 27, 28, 29. <gasps> I lost count. One, two, three. And they're like, oh, mom, just stop. <laughs> Give me a hug so we can be done. But I know they like it, right? Because you'll see them. My son that's older has a girlfriend. And he's like, we need to do a 30 second hug before you leave. Okay. You might hate on me for doing it, but you're doing it to your girlfriend. So secretively, I know that you <laughs> like it. So we're good. But um. Yeah, that's what happens, right? Like you have these guilt things of, I can't climb Everest. That's a terrible mom. I'm going to be gone for three weeks. Like, how could I do that to my kids? Well, the pursuit of climbing Everest opened up the door for a challenge to make sure I was a good parent before I left. It allowed my kids' school to get involved. Like I went into the school and I told the teachers, I'm going to be gone for three weeks. I've never been gone this long. I just want you to know, can you offer my kids a little bit of extra grace? 
The school stepped up and we did a What's Your Everest campaign. We talked about goal setting. They decorated the hallway with hikers. We had a mountain in the front of the school that was Everest. And they had me as a little hiker going up and down the mountain. And they tracked me. So every day, everybody knew where I was. My kids felt so loved and so seen. It was insane. Just another example of how you've made things work for you, right? Like the constraints of leaving for an expedition, like, okay, like let's, let's figure out a way we can make this special and like create a container around it and make it special. And I love that, that comment for your kids of like, uh, is the parenting challenge over? That's so, that's so awesome. And I love that you have those like forcing functions for making that happen. So, oh my gosh, Jen, this has been so amazing. I just have kind of a question that I've been wrapping up by asking guests and then I would love to find out where people can find out about you and grab the book and that kind of stuff. But the simple question is, how has curiosity impacted your life, Jen? Oh, it's the ticket, right? If you allow yourself to be curious, you accept what comes. You're not angry if you don't achieve or if you fail or whatever that like story is, you just allow so curiosity just allows things to show up and turns your life magical. Mm, beautiful. Love that answer. Of course, as the it's a little self-serving because I'm the beyond curious guy. So I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Jen, we have a book coming up. Um, would you want to maybe share a little bit about the book and where can people track about you and your work? And you got a podcast, share where people can find out about you and your journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So jendrummond.com. You can find all my social channels. So feel free to find your favorite and reach out and say hi. I love it when people connect from the podcast. Um, rate this interview on the podcast because it shows me who's interested and I can say hi to you and say thank you for listening. Um, you can find the book on the website. I do speaking engagements, host retreats, have the challenges that you can be a part of. And it's just fun. Like we achieve more together. So I am here to be a cheerleader on your pursuit. Thank you for listening. Oh my gosh, man, this has been amazing. So go check out jenndrummond.com. We'll have that linked up in the show notes. And just so you know, if you if you're if you can't wait for the show notes, that's Jen with two N's and two M's in Drummond. So J-E-N-N-D-R-U-M-M-O-N-D.com. So go check that out, grab the book, couldn't recommend it enough. And I'm just gonna have a really quick conversation with you listening. And I just wanna say, you could be listening to so many other podcasts. You could be listening to doing so many other things, but something about this episode is probably the crazy title hearing about Jen's story. You're still hanging out with us today. And so I'm really grateful. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that there is something in here that can change someone's life. That's why I'm so passionate about podcasting. So whether it was the story from the very beginning of Jen surviving an electric storm by scooting her butt down a mountain and everything that had to get her there, maybe it was hearing about how Jen had that crazy car crash in 2018 and how that woke her up and, and maybe thought about her life differently. Like that's just such a gift or the way that she's intentionally parenting her kids or climbing a mountain and surviving anthrax by getting sneezed on by a donkey. There is something in here that can make someone laugh. It can make a massive impact. And for, for that, I'm really grateful for having you listening. And I would just ask that you just take a second to share this with a friend. You never know the impact this can make. So whether you choose to do that or not, I appreciate you so, so much for listening. And Jen, any final things you want to say before we head out today? Just remember, we don't get to choose when we die, but we sure get to choose how we live. The choice is yours. Amazing. Love it. Thank you, Jen. I appreciate you. And we'll be talking to you very soon.